Over the past few weeks, we have been talking about life apps and what does it mean to apply the things that God has laid out there in front of us in Scripture and many other ways in our lives so that we can live a life really equipped, really ready to be blessed and be bountiful in what God has set out before us, not only in eternity to come, but in our life today. What are some of the things that God has set out for us to apply in our lives so that we can live a really blessed and glorified life. We talked about the first week, what is application? The week after that, we talked about forgiveness and understanding that in order for us to really learn how to be forgiven and how to forgive and how that process is a whole lot less about the person we are forgiving and a whole lot more about how God wants to heal our spirit eternally. Last week, we talked about confession and the importance of confession, and what confession really means, and how confession really means to turn away from the action or the behavior or the sin that has been in your life and to really begin to walk in a new way, in a new lifestyle. This week, I want to talk to you something a little bit different. We oftentimes look at what we're going to talk about this week as something that is not quite as spiritual as some of the other things we have. It's easy to talk about forgiveness because Scripture talks about forgiveness a lot. It's easy to talk about confession because confession is talked about a lot in Scripture. It's easy to talk about faith and love and joy and hope and all the spiritual gifts that the Spirit brings to us and all those things because Scripture talks about those things a lot. But what we're going to talk about today is pretty subtle in Scripture. And truthfully, what we do is we read over it a lot of times, and we don't bring enough attention to it, and so we really have a hard time applying that thing and really even looking at it as a spiritual thing that we need to do, as a spiritual application. And sometimes it becomes trivial, and that is your body and rest. Now, I'm not giving you permission to nap out this morning you got to stay with me. But we have all lived what I consider is a, a treadmill life, right? We all start the same way, right? We get into early adulthood in our teenage years. We're going about 2.0 on the treadmill, right? It's a, it's a steady walk. Every now and then it speeds up a little bit. But truthfully, you know, it's a pretty, pretty simple lifestyle. If I do what my parents say, I don't get beaten, right? It's pretty, pretty easy, pretty good lifestyle. But then you become young adults. You go into school, and so you throw a backpack on that treadmill, and that treadmill starts to really speed up a little bit, and then you get married, and then maybe kids come into the picture, and then you get a job. The next thing you know, you're going about 8.0 on this treadmill. You're running, and in the meantime, you're holding a briefcase. You still got the backpack on. You got the baby in your arms, and and storms are starting to flow, and you know what those storms are? They're bills. Right? Because the bills are starting to act up. So you're trying to do all of this while maintaining an 8.0 on the treadmill. And let's just be honest, most of the time, your treadmill experience ends up a lot like this. This is kind of like breakdancing. 
me tell you, the guy that catapults into the weights, that's the best one. He's got so much speed happening. But our life, in all seriousness, can sometimes get that hectic and get that way. And I want to talk to you this morning about Elijah. And I want to talk to you about a moment in his life that got a lot like that moment, well, maybe not quite like the treadmill falls, but you know what I'm talking about. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to give you a, a brief backstory, and this is the Brad Lewis version, right? When you read it in your Bible, there's going to be a whole lot more of these and thous, but let me just give it to you real quick. Elijah began a competition with the false prophets of Baal, right? And so he brought them up onto this mountain, and he told them, he said, listen, this is what I want to do. I want you to build an altar. I want you to, to take this cow that they had sacrificed. I want you to put the meat on the altar, and I want you to pray to your God <laughs> to burn this, prepare that meal. We'll all feast and have a good little party at the end of this. But when you have failed, then I'm going to show you who the real God is, right? So he lets them set up this altar. There's 450 prophets of this false god Baal, who begin to dance around this altar, right? Now, I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite scriptures, right? Because there's some cool stuff that's about to happen that God lets happen here. And the first thing is this. <clears throat> Elijah begins to taunt, right, all of the false prophets of Baal, which to me is, <laughs> is hilarious. And if you look in your scripture, I'm not making this stuff up, right? Elijah starts to sit back, and I can just imagine him leaning back, you know, on his donkey. And he's watching 450 of these false prophets who have been taking the people's money, who have been stealing the people's uh, souls, literally, into this false prophet. And he's watching them dance, this ridiculous dance around this ridiculous altar that this false god somehow is going to send fire out of nowhere and, and burn up, right? And he knows it's not going to happen, right? But they are sold out on this thing. And so they're dancing and they're flailing and they're singing and everything. And Elijah, you can look in Scripture, it's right there, chapter 18. He starts to say things like, oh, um, maybe you're not singing loud enough. Maybe you should sing louder and Baal will hear you. Maybe that's the problem. Or, or you know what? Maybe Baal went on vacation. And he's just not here right now. And maybe if you beg for him to come back, then he'll respond to you. And, and still nothing happens. So then he started saying, well, you know, maybe you're not dancing good enough. Or maybe you're not shouting good enough or loud enough. And so they begin to cut themselves and to smear blood all over themselves and dance louder and shout louder. And finally, Elijah says, all right, look, <laughs> this is just getting stupid. It's my turn, right? And so they have destroyed this altar because they've danced on it and, and shouted on it and celebrated and all this other stuff, and nothing ever happened, and they're depleted and they're burned out. And so Elijah bends down. He picks up 12 stones for the 12 tribes, and he, and he builds an altar exactly how God had taught the Israelites to. And he takes his section of the cow and he puts it on top of the altar. And then he does something that he didn't even tell the Baal false prophets to do. He digs a trench 
around the altar, right? And then he tells all the false prophets of Baal. He says, listen, I know that you're doubting, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get buckets or jars, whatever they used back then, their shirts, whatever. And I want you to bring the water up here, and I want you to drench this altar. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to let you throw water all over. So they go, they get gallons of water, and they drench this 12-stone altar full of water. And the trench is about halfway full at this point. So Elijah says this. He says, listen, I want you to go do it again. Go down there and get even more. So they go down there, they fill up all their containers, they come back up, and they drench it again. At this point, the trench is full, and it's overflowing, and it's completely soaked. And Elijah says, listen, I want you to go down there, and I want you to do it again. And so they go down, they get even more. And at this point, you can just imagine, right? Because they were the ones that were getting taunted by Elijah. You remember that? They were the ones that he's sitting back, he's like, oh, I bet he can't hear you. So at this point, I guarantee you that they're thinking, this dude is an idiot, right? I mean, look at this. Could you imagine what the meat looked like? Could you imagine the altar, the ground around it, and this trench that he had dug is just completely filled with water, and they're pouring even more on top of it. And then Elijah does something really, really cool. He steps back, and he calls on God. Does anybody want to guess what happens? Hey! The fire comes. Why? Because God is real. And so here comes A really cool part. Then God says, wipe them out. And so they, the 450, are slaughtered. They're slaughtered, right? None of you are as excited about this as I am. This is in the Bible. This is incredible. So this all goes back to this she-woman, right? The big woman. In, in the castle up on the hill. And this is what she says. Look at me. Or read with me. You can look at me if you want. <laughs> First Kings chapter 19. Ahab, little crybaby, went and reported to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets. Okay, can we just rewind real quick? Just quick. He not only was allowed to taunt them, but then he slaughtered them. He is He-Man. He really is. All right, we can keep going. You know, we look at people like Samson, and we're like, oh, dude's cool because he could kill a bunch of people with a jawbone. 450 people. Elijah. All right, we can keep going. First Kings chapter 19. Ahab reported to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets. And Jezebel immediately sent a messenger to Elijah with her threat. The gods will get you for this, and I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. When Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there and then went on into the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this God. Enough of this God. 
Now, I want to stop here because I want to relate what's going on with Elijah with what happens to us sometimes in our walk, in our life, every day. Elijah had just been called by God to do this pretty incredible thing, right? And what what you really can't see even from this part is all that Elijah has been through even before this incredible moment. And so at this point, Elijah has done all of this. He's been through this entire thing. He has seen the slaughter of 450 people, and now he's been threatened with his life. And what you don't understand about this journey is we're talking hundreds of miles that he first went on with his servant, and then he told his servant, listen, dude, you you check out here. I'm going to keep going. And I'm thinking in his head probably because he thought that that guy would throw everybody off and he'd have even more free run into this desert where nobody wants to go, right? And so he's running for his life, and finally he gets to a melting point, a a, a point where he's just like, I can take no more. He sees one bush, he collapses under the bush emotionally and physically, and he says to God the one prayer that many of us have prayed at some point in our lives, enough, enough, God, I'm out I've done what you've asked me to do, and I'm done. I'm spent. I am physically wasted, and I'm out. And then here's what happened. God came to him, and he said this incredible pep talk. He smacked him on his royal butt, and he sent him forward, right? No, that's not what happened. Let me show you what happened. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. Let's continue. Take my life. I'm ready to join the ancestors in the grave. And here's the plan. Here's the pattern. I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to read it. Here's the pattern. Sleep, eat. Sleep, eat. Get up and sleep. And then what happens? Then the pep talk. Now, why is it important that God does it in this manner? Why is it important? 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 5. Exhausted. He fell asleep under the lone broom bush. And suddenly an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and to his surprise, right by his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. And he ate the meal and then he went back to sleep. And the angel of God came back and shook him awake again and said, get up, eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. And he got up and he ate and drank his fill and he set out. And nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and nights. Some scholars believe he went 500 miles all the way to the mountain of God. And when he got there, he crawled into the cave. And what did he do? He slept. Now we talk in the Bible, in church about the Bible, How important it is for us to fast, how important it is for us to pray, how important it is for us to be in our Bibles, how important it is for us to give, how important it is for us to love, how important it is for us to be open and vulnerable in our lives. But there's something that you have to understand that all of that is wrapped up into, and that is this, your physical body. 
Your physical body is the instrument that God is going to use. And so therefore, your physical body is a spiritual instrument. You with me? And so what you have to understand is pretty simple. The life application that God is going to teach us all, one way or another, is that you've got to rest. You've got to rest. Now, if you're anything like my wife, that's not an easy thing for you. If you're anything like me, it's an easy thing for you. Right? My wife goes to sleep at night right next to me in bed. We're married, so we can do that. I'm over here, and, and I close my eyes, and I start thinking one thing. I wonder what's on TV. Right? I wonder if... What, what's the show we watch? I make you watch every night. The, Queen, the King of Queens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, every night. Channel 41, right? <laughs> every night. Be there. It, it'll be waiting for you. So I, we watch this show, and I'm totally into the show. I'm laughing. I'm cracking up, right? I'm in my own man world. I'm farting, burping, whatever. I'm going to sleep. My wife is in a completely different world because as much as a, a rester that I can be, my wife is an A-type personality. And so when she lays down, life is completely different for her. In her mind, it's like an iPad, right? Things and apps start to pop open. And as she's laying there, she's actually saying to me as if I'm listening. <laughs> she's saying things like, you know, your 9 o'clock appointment for tomorrow, you really should move to 9.30 because you have to take Jaden to school. Or she's saying, you know, Brad, next week we really need to have a meeting with this team because we're going to be doing this. And you need to understand I'm not going to be there because I have a 4 o'clock appointment. I've got to be in Miamisburg and blah, blah, blah. And I'm on my side of the bed, and I'm going, ha, <laughs> ha, right? I'm out. But she's completely different. A lot of us are that way. We have completely different personalities in all of us. And, and what, what really works and triggers for one of us is completely different, maybe even from our partner. And so what happens is, for some of you, rest is still work, right? You don't got it as good as me. I rest. We have a comedian in Sarah I like, and he talks all the time about going on break at work. And he always says, when I break... That's just what I do. I break. That's me. When I'm resting, <laughs> hey, the rest of the world just went away. And, and I am in paradise in my boxers and a t-shirt playing Assassin's Creed on the couch. Everybody else is out. I'm good. Right, Jordan? Yeah. <clears throat> I, 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 but let me tell you what happens. Life begins to creep in to tell you you're cheating. <clears throat> I take every Monday as my... Uh, rest day that I take. And it's a difficult thing to do because everybody else's world begins on Monday. And so what I do is I take my phone, I put it on the table, and I turn it off, right? Because I have to have a day. I love y'all, but I got to have a day without you, right? And so I take my phone, I put it on the table, and I turn it off. And what happens is I get up that night, I turn that phone back on because I have to set my alarm to wake me up on Tuesday. And when I turn my phone on, you can probably guess what happens. It's, you know, a whole orchestra is happening from my phone, from everything that I've missed that day. And I have phone messages 
that are just panicking. Like, you know, you must call me immediately. You, you know, things are happening. And I, I tell people, listen, that's not going to happen today. I will call you tomorrow. And whatever is bothering you today, you know, unless it's an emergency or a crisis, if it, you know, if it has to do with church and a meeting or something like that, it can wait till Tuesday. You know, it, it can pause and wait till Tuesday. But people think that there's some type of cheating there, and it happens to you too, but it happens internally, that when you take a day of rest, you think you're cheating. You think you should be doing something. You think you have to remain active, or you have to be, you know, but you don't understand, I have this deadline I have to meet, Brad. Or you don't understand, I have these things that I have to do, Brad. But what I do understand is this. If you don't break, if you don't rest, you will end up like Elijah under a bush in chaos. Because what does non-rest do in your life? Here, here is some science, right? Non-rest will affect you emotionally, relationally, physically, and mentally. It will not only lead into a collapse of you emotionally, but it can and most likely will, if not treated, lead into depression. There was a study done of a thousand teenagers. And they asked these teenagers, if there's one thing about your parents that you could change, if there's one thing about your parents that you really wanted from them, what would that one thing be? And then they took their parents and they asked them the exact same question. And they said, we asked your kids if there was one thing about your parents that you could change. If there's one thing that you really wanted from your parents, what would that be? What do you think their answer is? And the majority of the parents said, probably what a lot of you are thinking right now, time. My kids want more time. Here's the catch. That wasn't the answer. The answer was, I wish my parents weren't as stressed as they are. Because what we have to understand is, it's not just about time. It's about quality time. It's not just about me sitting with my kids. It's about me sitting with my kids in a way that is a quality experience for them. In other words, I'm not constantly thinking about work. I'm thinking about them. I'm not so stressed out that, I, that I'm emotionally shut down anyways. And so I'm literally a zombie sitting next to you in your chair. But there is a spiritual and physical connection between me and my kids. And that can only happen if I am spiritually and physically whole in that experience. Are you with me? Jesus even understood this. And Matthew, as soon as the meal was finished, Matthew 14, he insisted that the disciples get on the boat and go to the other side while he dismissed the people. What just happened? Jesus just fed through that great miracle of the 5,000 men, right? That's a count of men. There was many more than that because we also have to count their wives and their kids, right? So Jesus feeds all these with this, this crazy, crazy miracle that happens. And when the meal's finished, he tells the disciples, look, get in the boat and just go get on the water. Just, just go. And I will dismiss all the people. And so he turns around and he dismisses all the people. Uh, verse 22, with the crowd dispersed, he climbed the mountain so he could be by himself and pray. And he stayed there alone late into the night. Meanwhile, the boat was far out to sea. And we all know what happens next, right? The big practical joke, you know, 
They're all freaked out, and all of a sudden, here comes Jesus on the water. You can't tell me he didn't do that on purpose, right? He could have showed up on the boat, but no, he wanted to freak them out. Now, Jesus is a perfect example of what happens in a lot of our lives. Isn't that crazy how that works? He went out and met this incredible deadline and did this incredible thing. And what you don't even read in this scripture is you forget that these people followed him for days, right? This wasn't one thing where Jesus, you know, put out on Facebook, I'm going to be at this mountain at 12 o'clock. All of you show up, and if there's some fish, I'll make something happen, right? These people followed him. Everywhere that he would go, he would have this group of people. We think of the 12 disciples, but truthfully, there were hundreds of disciples. There were 12 that were in his inner circle, but there were hundreds that followed him everywhere he went. And every time he got physically spent, you can read it in Scripture multiple times, the Bible tells us, he would go in solitude and he would pray. Do you know what he would do? He would take a break. He would turn off all the communication. He would turn off everything and he would go in solitude. He would do exactly what the Scripture says, go alone and pray. He would send everybody away. And sometimes he would even bring a couple disciples with him and say, listen, while I'm up there praying by myself, you pray for me. You pray for me while I'm up there getting some rest. Because what he understood is you can't do the ministry that God's called you to do. You can't be effective in your life with those who are around you. If you're spent, if you're constantly tired, if you're constantly drained, If you're in the moment right before depression, because you just keep getting hit and you can't release, you have no release moment. So here's what I would like to do today. You came to church, and I'm going to teach you how to sleep. Here we go. You ready for this? The first thing you have to understand is, and I love this quote. This quote is from Andy Stanley, and it says this. Your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. Your life moves at a... Sorry, screwed it up. Your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. Your life moves to a better place... You getting this, or is it just me? When you move at a sustainable pace... What, what does that mean? I'm going to do it in Brad language. Your life is a whole lot better when you're not bitter. You with me? People want to be around you. You have the ability to do what God has called you to do. And what, what is that thing? We say here at this church all the time. We even got it up on the wall right back here. Love God and love people. It's that simple. That's scripture. That's your commandment. That's what Christ has commanded you to do. Those are the two things. We get caught up in all the other stuff, all the rules, all the regulations, all the laws, and all that other garbage. And Jesus said this, listen, all that is dung. It's, it's poo. It's crap. When it's compared to these two, and truthfully, everything else, all the other laws, everything else that you're so concerned and wrapped up about, all of those things will come through in your life if you do these two things. You with me? If you love God and love people, everything else will fall into place. But we can't do those things if people can't tolerate us because we're constantly on 9.5 on the treadmill. 
And anytime any little thing happens, our kids bump their toe on the wall, we go off. Right? Our boss says something to us at work, and we go off. Or, or a coworker says something, or, and we go off. We read an email the wrong way, and we go off. And we end relationships over the stupidest thing. Why? Because we're at 9.5, and it doesn't take a whole lot to get us over the cliff. Because we don't know how to rest. So here's how it happens. First, take a Sabbath. Take a Sabbath. This is a God-commanded thing. This is not Pastor Brad standing in front of you and saying, it might be a good idea. This is a God-commanded thing. Take a Sabbath day. Do as I've done, God said. And what did God do at the end of creation? He took a Sabbath day. If God can find the time, so can we. You're busy, but you ain't God. You with me? If God can find the time, so can you. Take a Sabbath. What does that mean to take a Sabbath? It means that you don't check your emails. It means that you don't do work. It means that you shut down. Now, I'm going to tell you, your Sabbath looks different from my Sabbath. I can't imagine all of you in your boxer shorts playing Creed, right? That's my world. Some of you like to exercise. I don't. <laughs> right? That may make you feel better. I have friends who like to run. I, Jennifer, I don't get that. I, I praise you, and when I see that, I'm like, girl, you go. You're running for two of us. Because <laughs> I, I don't get that. that just, I, I would rather eat a Twinkie. Now, I know I, look, I'm just being honest. I know I will die before you because of it. But that's how I Sabbath. What does Sabbath mean? Sabbath means you've got to rest. You've got to rest. Figure out in your life how you do that. And your way is going to be different. And truthfully, what you look out as Sabbath, like I was just talking about with the jogging, may seem like work to me. But to you, it is your Sabbath. And what may seem like a Sabbath to me, to you, may seem completely ridiculous. But you know what? To me, that is a Sabbath. And one of the things that I learned from my father, who burned out in ministry, who, who crashed and burned for 10 years and had to recoup like Elijah for 10 years before he went back into it. What did I learn? I learned this. When you rest, you got to be like my comedian buddy. You got to rest. You got to break. You got to turn it off, no matter what consequences that may mean. If you have people in your life who can't live with you because you take a 24 hour break, then guess what you need to do? You need to take your 24-hour break, and you need to find somebody else to do life with. Because anyone who pushes you and drives you to the extent that it breaks you is not someone who is spiritually building into you. Does that make sense? The second thing, recharge. Recharge. I want you to notice what Jesus did when he had to recharge, right? Jesus went away. He went away. He went on vacay, right? He left Dodge. He told everybody else to get lost. I want you to see what Elijah did. Elijah, God sent him 500 miles away. Now, I don't know what your 500-mile cave-like location might be. For my wife and I, if any of you would like to send us to Hawaii, I think you should. That's our cave-like place, right, honey? We went there a few years ago. I'm not going to lie to y'all. We almost didn't come back. 
If we didn't have kids back here, and that wasn't, I was like, honey, I can leave them. (laughs) Do you see the beach right now? Sarah's like, oh, but I love them. (laughs) Recharge. You got to get out of Dodge. You got, listen to me. I don't do it near enough as I should. This is one of those things that I have to work on. Because I am somebody who is a deadline person. I'm one of those people that the Sabbath day, in all seriousness, that's something that I have to literally work on and make sure that I do. I protect that moment in my life so that I don't burn out. Because this thing that we do here is crazy hectic for me. I mean, you, you don't understand. Every day is all day. There, there is no downtime for me. So I have to protect that. And let me tell you what else I protect. I protect my recharging moments. Here at the end of this month, I'm taking two weeks off in a row. That's crazy. I know it's crazy. But let me tell you why I'm doing that. Because my family needs me. My wife needs me. And if, I, if we don't step back and recharge, then this right here is gonna, it's, it's just going to go down. Because we can't continue to carry at this level. Your life is the exact same way as mine. I know that. I know you're busy all day, every day. And I know that if you're not taking the Sabbath like I am, that it's accelerating. That your treadmill is getting faster and you're about to crash and burn. And I also know this. I also know it's not affordable for all of us to take two weeks and to go somewhere. But I do know this. You can get out of Dodge. And it doesn't have to cost you a lot of money. It may not be as comfortable as your neighbor who goes and racks up all kinds of debt on their credit card. But you can get it done. You've got to recharge. And I encourage you to do it at least once a year. Get out. I encourage you to go with family. Don't go to family's house. That's not getting away. Going to Cousin Myrtle's, that's not a vacation. Right? But sometimes, my family this year went with my sister's family, and my mom and dad met us, and we went to Myrtle Beach uh, last year for a a couple weeks, and it was insane. It was insane. You know what we did? Nothing. We didn't do anything. We just laid around on the beach and got burnt and loved it. Finally, the last thing that you have to do is reflect. You have to reflect One of the coolest things that I love to do when I go away on vacation is to take a day by myself when I can. Take a day by myself and just pray and reflect and look at where God has brought me and look to where God is trying to take me. To begin to build in my heart a structure for becoming who God wants me to become. Now this isn't always easy for us to do because we don't have time to do it. But in your recharging moment, when you've got time, it's the perfect time to do it, right? Because you can lock yourself in a place, or like I did this year, on a beach, where no one else is around, where you can just lay and pray and say, God, feed into me and begin to dissect what you've done over the past year and get ready for the year to come until your next recharging moment. You with me? It's understanding and fulfilling that calling. Because let me tell you what's going to happen. God is going to prepare you and equip you to do something spectacular for his ministry. And in your life, it's going to look different than my life. God's not going to call you to stand up and make a fool of yourself preaching in front of a bunch of people every week. 
but he is going to call you to do something. He's going to call you to love in some way. He's going to call you to step out in some way. He's going to call you to reach out in some way. And if you're at 95.5% occupancy on your treadmill, if you're running as hard as you can already, you're not going to be ready for it when God calls you. But if you are recharged, then you can re-engage. And that's the last thing, re-engaging. You're going to have to re-engage. We all re-engage. You come off the rest and you re-engage. Elijah came out of the cave, he re-engaged. Jesus came down from the mountain, he re-engaged. Here's the hard part. Elijah walked into a calm situation. Jesus walked right into a storm. All of our situations are going to be different. Some of us will walk from this moment and it'll be like sunshine for the next five months. Some of you are going to walk right back into hell. You're going to walk right back into the storm. But you're going to be equipped now, rested, and ready. If you're not, you collapse and burn. Will you stand with me? Here's the cool thing. You came to church today, and your pastor told you to go take a nap. Here's the hard thing. For a lot of you, it's not easy to do because you haven't built a lifestyle surrounded by your Sabbath moment. Your lifestyle is a steady pace of go, 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 go. Because you've allowed the devil and those around you to lie to you and to tell you that you have to be busy all the time. That everyone is expecting you to work as hard as you can and burn yourself out because that's just the way of America. Well, I want to tell you something. God's way is this. For six days, you be all I've called you to be. And you do it at 100%, as hard as you can. You get out there and you fight for me. And you live for me. And you open your heart and you open your mind. And you love on people like no one else will love on them. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to get beat down. And like Christ, they may even try to kill you. So you've got to rest and get ready. You've got to take your Sabbath. You've got to recharge. And then you'll be able to re-engage. You follow me? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the truth that you teach us. And Father, I pray at this moment, Lord, that you enable our schedules you enable our life cycles, Father, to incorporate a Sabbath like you've instructed us. God, I pray that you convict us if we're bad at it. And Father, for any who may be here today, Lord, who may have walked into this place burned out, who God may be walking in here and they are on high on their treadmill in life, God, I pray your comfort over them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just rest upon them and bring them peace. That, Father, you would allow them to rest. And, God, if there's those of us who are like Elijah and we need pulled away, that, Father, you would pull us out and into sleep and nourishment. God, I love you. I praise you. I thank you, Father, for what you have called us out to do. And, Father, I praise you for moments of rest. 
God, I pray that you pour into us a blessing, encouragement, the pep talk of our lives. We love you. We praise you. We glorify you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.